When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 108. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there, and thanks for joining me. On today's show, we are applying the tenets of minimalism to our time, to our finances, and to our most important relationships. I like applying intentionality to all areas of my life. It's a quirky little hobby of mine, (laughs) and I find myself asking, what would a minimalist do in all situations and all challenges that come up in my day-to-day life where the answer isn't immediately clear to me. The truth is that most of us could manage our time better. Most of us could benefit from some financial tweaking. And most of us could curate our relationships in ways that make them more enjoyable, right? So today I am offering up two minimalist tips for prioritizing time, two tips for tweaking finances, and two tips for managing interpersonal relationships the minimalist way. My goal is to really hone in on how perfectly a less is more lifestyle works in all areas of our lives, not just in the decluttering process. Everything we talked about today can be found in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 108. When it comes to managing our time the minimalist way, my first tip is to tackle the dreaded task first. Now, Mark Twain so famously said, right, if it is your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest one first. Now, what on earth does this mean? Frogs, eating frogs, what does this mean? It means that if you have a task looming over your head that you're dreading, make sure to get it done first. Maybe you have a phone call that you know is going to be uncomfortable or awkward. Make that phone call first thing in the morning. Or maybe you know you need to exercise, but you hate exercising. Just get it done. Get it done first, whatever that dreaded task may be. The reason is that if you procrastinate, all that dread and all that anxiety is just going to hang over your head and distract you all day long. It's going to eat at you. So eat that frog and get it accomplished. The best part of tackling the dreaded task first is that you can then get through the rest of your day knowing that the hardest task or the hardest tasks are behind you. Oh my God, I love it. Next up, 
is to organize your time. Now, organizing your time provides you with both focus and motivation. So don't just organize it, prioritize it too. What activities must get done on this particular day? Put them at the top of your to-do list. And those activities that could reasonably wait till tomorrow if time runs out, put those items toward the bottom of your to-do list. Now, the trick here is to schedule in your free time too. What is it that you find to be restful or beneficial? Make sure you schedule in those activities. For me personally, in my day, walking the dog is great for me. I love fresh air and it's great for my dog too. She gets exercise, but it is cold out right now. It is consistently below freezing where I live. And so I could very easily get caught up doing something else, anything else really in my warm home, then taking that dog out for a walk. But I found that if I put walk the dog on my schedule, if it's written in ink, and if I can actually physically cross it out, it will get done just as much as those other more productive tasks on my schedule. The main benefit to scheduling your free time is that you are naturally going to feed your soul with the inspiration it needs because you're going to find yourself prioritizing those activities that give you the most bang for their buck. So as you're sitting down organizing your free time, you're probably not going to write in, check social media, or watch three episodes of Real Housewives, or any of those other time-sucking activities that in the long run really don't offer rejuvenation. A little side note here is that last week I had to attend the funeral of a loved one, And that funeral and that loss made me think really long and hard about how short life is and about how little free time there really is in my life currently to do what I love to do. It just kind of hit me that watching TV, watching Below Deck, my absolute favorite show right now, it's so embarrassing, but watching TV and checking Facebook and watching Insta stories, those activities honestly, are not the best use of my very limited free time. And that's not to say that Netflix and social media and television and whatever else aren't a good use of your time. Perhaps those things are a good use of your time. But consider checking in with yourself and making sure they actually are. Okay, so those were my two tips for managing your time the minimalist way. Now we're moving on to finances. Minimalism, if you already follow it, it is spectacular for your finances, right? Because if you're buying less naturally, you're probably saving some money. We have talked so many times on this podcast about why it's important to determine your own specific wants versus needs. So we're not doing that today. But the fact is that an unnecessary purchase here or there really isn't all that detrimental to our pocketbooks, but unnecessary purchases when they're added up can wreak havoc on our finances. So my first tip for you when it comes to minimalist finances is to limit yourself to one credit card. I know, crazy, right? One credit card. One credit card will make you really aware of your charging habits. If you have 12 credit cards currently, 
sit down and analyze the benefits to having each one. What are you getting out of those 12 credit cards? Is the corporation getting more out of you than you are getting out of those 12 cards and their perks? Limiting your accounts will set boundaries on your spending naturally without you really having to do much at all. If you have one card, you will be so much more vigilant in keeping track of what you're spending. You'll pay on time because you only have one credit card bill to worry about. And because you're checking it more often, you'll also potentially spot fraud much quicker than if you had those 12 cards to juggle, think about, and check in on. Now, finally, if your single card, your one credit card offers a cash back option, you will maximize the cash you get back because everything is going on that one single card. The bottom line here is that borrowing leads to owing and owing leads to debt. Now, of course, right, some big purchases like the house or the new car, we need to borrow because very few listeners listening right now have the cash available to purchase that new car or that new home outright. It is true, however, for those smaller purchases that corporations make more attractive by offering financing. Take, for example, that Peloton bike, right? If you don't know what the Peloton bike is, it's the bike that had that controversial commercial around the holidays. The Peloton bike, that bike is currently $2,245 plus a $40 a month subscription. That's a hard price tag to swallow, right? Well, Peloton offers you interest-free financing for one year. Now it looks more appealing. But the reality is that until that bike is paid off, or until that sofa is paid off, or whatever it is you want to charge, you are borrowing. And borrowing can be a bad habit to get into. And if you have just one card, you'll be more likely to borrow what you can pay back. Now, there is a drawback to having just one card, and that is obviously, to my knowledge, there is no one single card that offers all the perks, right? All the rewards, all the cash back, all the airline miles, all the double points on gas. So having just one card may mean you're missing out on some rewards that make sense for you and your family. Perhaps you consider taking a hard look at your own financial situation and seeing if just one card or maybe two works for your home. My second tip when it comes to minimalists and finances is to make an emergency fund. And the key here is don't touch that emergency fund unless there's an actual emergency. An emergency fund is really just a savings account, which you only touch when you need to cover unexpected expenses and emergencies. It should come as no surprise to anybody listening that people self-report finances as being one of the most stressful aspects of adulting, right? Financial stress is consistently linked in the research to migraines and insomnia and cardiovascular disease. The list goes on and on. When it comes to finances and when it comes to events in our lives that just happen, There is so much that we can't control, but the one thing we can control is whether we are prepared. So when the unexpected does happen, like 
when your furnace dies in the middle of winter and you need to get it replaced for a very big price like mine just did, (laughs) the shock of that unexpected event won't completely disarm you financially if you have an emergency fund. Now, the financial experts say that an adequate emergency fund should have at least $1,000 in it. And after you have that $1,000, slowly expand on that emergency fund by putting a little bit aside every month, even if it's just $10, let's say, until you have in that emergency fund three to six months worth of living expenses set aside. All right, we are moving right on to applying minimalism to our relationships. My first tip for you is to expect just 50%. Now stay with me here. Many of us have high expectations for our loved ones. We just tend to expect a lot from other people, especially if we feel as though we do a lot for them. The problem comes when we realize that we have these expectations, but we never check in with ourselves to see if these expectations are justified. A lot of times, what we expect from others can be far removed from reality and from what others can reasonably give us back. So in my relationships, and particularly in my friendships, I loosely follow the 50-50 rule. Is my friend putting in 50% of the effort? Am I putting in 50% of the effort? Is there an equal exchange going on here? Am I receiving enough benefit from this friendship to make my time and effort and energy that I put into it worth it? The 50-50 rule shows me in plain language when I'm doing more than my friend But it also shows me when I'm not doing my part. And that happens often, to be honest. It's not because I don't care about the friendship. It's not that they like me more. It's that my life just gets in the way. And similarly, because I know this about myself and my life, I try hard to give my friends who maybe aren't giving me all of their 50% some grace Because life just happens to all of us, and we just get caught up in the day-to-day grind. It's not so much personal. It's not a reflection on how much we like a person or whether we care about the friendship. It's just that life comes first, oftentimes. Expecting just 50% is a nice check-in for all of us because a friendship or any relationship, really, must be a partnership in order for it to be sustainable. If one party is consistently putting in all the effort to get together or to solve conflicts or to say yes to favors, that relationship is going to be unbalanced. And things that are unbalanced generally tip, right? So follow that 50-50 rule as a loose outline for whether you're getting back what you're putting in and whether you're putting in what the other person is giving you. My final tip for you today is to just say no. (laughs) In our culture, right, the mark of a good woman is how selfless she is. How much does that woman give? Well, 
I was first introduced to the possibility of saying no on my own podcast, ironically. It was episode 26 with Anna Seawald, and Anna said something along the lines of, you don't have to bring organic cupcakes to your child's bake sale. And when she said that, I think on the air, I gasped. <laughs> I didn't have to bring organic cupcakes? What? That just sounded like blasphemy to me. But since that episode... In the past, it's been about a year and a half now since I recorded that interview. I've really come to adopt that. And I find myself saying to myself, I don't have to bring organic cupcakes all the time, even if the situation doesn't have anything to do with cupcakes. Now, if I have the time and energy to make those organic cupcakes, I'm certainly going to do it. But if I don't, I'm not going to kill myself. The bottom line is that If someone makes a request of you that you know in your gut is going to stretch you too thin, you are allowed to say no. You are in charge of your own well-being. No one else cares if you got enough sleep or if you're juggling all the balls to keep your household afloat. No one cares. But you have to care because you have to be your top priority. Another benefit that I found to saying no to all those expectations that don't excite me and that stretch me too thin is that when an opportunity comes along for an event or a volunteer position or whatever it is that truly does excite me at the core, I have enough free time and enough mental space to be able to accept those invitations with gusto. So by saying no to all the stuff that you don't really care about, You can say, heck yes, to the stuff that you do care about. You'll be able to give 110% to the opportunities that light you up, as opposed to giving 60%, let's say, to those obligations that don't actually matter to you. So how do you do it? How do you say no without being rude? Nobody wants to be rude, right? It's easy. You just employ the sandwich method, right? You sandwich your no between two positive statements. So going back to that organic cupcakes example, if you wanted to say no to the PTO chair lady, you would say something like this. I would love to support the PTO by baking organic cupcakes for the bake sale, but unfortunately, I just have to decline this time. Please do, though, let me know when the next bake sale is, and I will do my absolute best to contribute. Done. (laughs) that's it. Done. Sandwich that no between two positive statements. Say it in a nice way. Smile. Be bold. And it's done. Now, if you are looking for more inspiration on how and when to say no, check out episode 31 of this podcast. It is called, aptly, The Art of Saying No. So there we have it, my friends. Six tips for you for applying minimalism to our time, our finances, and our relationships. Just to recap really quick, tip number one was to tackle the dreaded task first. Number two is to organize and prioritize your time. Number three is to limit yourself to just one credit card. Number four is to make an emergency fund. Number five, is to expect just 50% in your relationships. And finally, number six is to just say no. I so hope that you got some 
inspiration today to be a little bit more intentional in all aspects of your life. And on next week's show, we are talking about all the different fabrics out there, the acrylic, the viscose, the nylon, the Egyptian cotton, the list goes on and on. We're diving into what they all are, really, as well as which ones you should consciously avoid. I will see you then. Have a wonderful week. Take care.